0: Hey, thank you for listening to Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel Las Vegas. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are streamed. You can also visit praisechapellasvegas.com and follow us on social media at PC Las Vegas to stay connected with PCLV. Thank you again for listening. Here comes today's message. spoken in, uh, well, I mean, this is my second time speaking in 18 years behind the pulpit, so I might be still a little rusty, um, but uh, before we start, I want to, uh, uh, we're going to have some icebreakers, some jokes, so who was the first drug addict in the Bible? Does anybody know? Nebuchadnezzar, he ate grass. Where was Solomon's temple located? On the side of his head. Who's the fastest runner in the race? Adam, because he was the first in the human race. Amen. Amen. All right. So I title this message, The Journey 2. We're going to be looking into the life of Abraham out of the book of Genesis chapter 12. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are all about the human race. And after the fall in the garden, humans are not in a good state. In chapter 12, God focuses on a couple, Abraham and Sarah. He has a plan, a master plan of salvation, that through this couple was going to come the Messiah, Jesus our Savior. From chapter 12 to the New Testament, it's all about the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Abraham's name was first Abram, until God changed his name to Abraham. There's a reason why God changes names. By, by changing their names, he gives them a new identity. He lets them know that they are destined for a new mission. Such was the case with Jacob, who became Israel, and Simon, who became Peter. After Jesus changed Simon's name into Peter, he would occasionally call him Simon at times. Because Simon acted like his old self instead of the rock that God had called him to be. The same is true with Jacob. God continued to call him Jacob throughout the Bible to remind him to depend on God's strength. God broke Jacob's hip when he changed his name to Israel, but he also broke him spiritually because he was being a deceiver, a conniver, a trickster. God sometimes has to break you to fully surrender to him. With Abraham, you don't see God calling him Abram anymore. Abraham kept his new name. Abraham's journey began when he accepted the call of God. Abraham got a taste of heaven every time God spoke to him. His main goal was to make it to heaven, for the Bible says in Hebrews 11.10 that he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Our Christian walk should be viewed as a journey. Once we accept Jesus into our hearts, our journey with God begins. He has a journey specifically for you. Our main goal in this journey should be to make it to heaven. Yes, we're saved, but there's still a battle for our soul. The devil will try to make us fall back into sin, so we won't make heaven our home. All of this is temporary. The older you get, the more you realize how, every, how temporary, temporary everything is. One day, all this world is going to pass away. But we, like Abraham, should be looking forward for that city whose builder and maker is God. Abraham is known as the man of faith, but he also struggled, struggled with his faith, just like you and me when we struggled with our faith. There was times when Abraham looked at everything through the eyes of faith, and there was times when Abraham didn't look at everything through the eyes of faith. When he took Isaac to be sacrificed, he had the eyes of faith. On our journey with God, we should look at everything through the eyes of faith. 2 Corinthians 5-7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Let's look at Genesis 11 verses 31 and 32 before we get into chapter 12. And so it reads in chapter 11 verse 31, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go to the land of Canaan and they came to Haran and bought there so the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran we see what Abraham we see here that Abraham's dad Terah moves Abraham and Sarah out of out of Ur of the Chaldeans to, to Canaan it was Abraham's dad that takes the lead moving them to Canaan We also see that Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldeans, which is southern Iraq, which is now southern Iraq. He was rich and came from a wealthy family. He and his family were idol worshippers. The land of Ur was one of the centers of idolatry. In the center of this town, there was a huge temple called the Great Ziggurat. You have a picture of that? There's that temple, and there's another picture before that. And that's where it's at Iraq now. And as you can see, the, 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 the third, all those three floors are gone now. And so that's where Abraham, he lived around all that. There used to be two walls. There was a wall around the city of Ur, and there was a, another wall around that temple, which they call the sacred wall. This, this temple was dedicated to the moon god Sin, or Nana, or Nanar. Nana. Don't call your grandma Nana anymore. Which was, the main, which was the main god of this city. Abraham worshipped this moon god. This city also worshipped different gods of nature. Abraham and his family were saturated with idolatry, kind of like you and me when we, we were on the world. We were saturated with idolatry before we got saved. It could be any, even, even now that we're saved, we can still have idols. It could be anything that you put before God. The land of Ur was a highly advanced civilization. It possessed great wealth. It was prosperous. They were advanced in musical instruments and crafts. You have water? Excavators even found the golden harp. Do you have a picture of that one? They found that in Ur, and it's still, it's still on display. They also found the golden helmet. You have a picture of that one. Ur was the largest city in the ancient Near East and a major trading post. It was all it was a land of opportunity and economic prosperity. They had a university with a giant library. They created the first wheel and the first law. It was the greatest commercial and most advanced cultural city of that time. So let's look at Genesis verses one through three. <laughs> All right. Now the Lord hath said to Abraham, get out from your country and, your, and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We see in this verse what is called the sevenfold blessing of God. In verse 1, God tells Abraham to go to a land that he would show him. Abraham did not know where he was going, God never told Abraham where he was going. The reason was because God wanted Abraham to be totally dependent upon God, God wanted Abraham's heart. First, just like you and me. On our journey with God, He wants us to be fully dependent upon Him for all things. He wants you, He wants your heart. Before He blessed Abraham, He wanted His heart first. Before He blesses us, He wants our hearts. If He has your heart, the blessing won't go to your head. You will know where all the blessings came from. In this sevenfold blessing, we see what is what we see that it was God and God alone who says to Abraham, I will, I will. It was all about what God can do for him. In Psalm 91, you also find God saying, I will, I will. Psalm ninety-one, fourteen through 16 says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. On our journey with God, we can become spiritually prideful and make it all about what we have done for Christ. I did this or I'm doing that, the big I, me, myself, and I like that song. But it's all about what God has done for us and what he's continuing to do for us. It's Christ who does things through us. We are just vessels that God uses. It says in John 15, 15, For without me you can do nothing. Don't take the glory from God, but be a reflector of what he has done for you. The Bible shows us that the devil also got filled with pride and said, I will, I will. In Isaiah 14, 12 through through 15, it reads like this, How you are falling from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt myself above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Shoel, to the lowest depths of the pit. The reference in this chapter of Isaiah 14 was to the king of Babylon. But God takes a backdoor approach to talk about the devil. The devil ends up getting kicked out of heaven with a third of God's angels. The devil always tries to copy God. Everything that God does, the devil tries the same. He is not an original. He's a counterfeit. So you have a choice. You can have the I wills of God, or you can have the I wills of Satan. God will bless you with no strings attached. The devil will also give you things to keep you in sin, but it's not for free. He wants it all back. There's a time when you will where you will pay and lose your soul. In verse 2 of Genesis 12, it says, uh, I will make you a great nation. By God, by God making Abraham into a great nation, he was giving him a purpose. It is because of Abraham that we now have the nation of Israel with millions of Jews. And also, we are descendants of Abraham through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Galatians 3.29, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. Abraham's na- Every time somebody gets saved and accepts Jesus, Abraham's nation keeps growing. And, the, and this promise continues to be fulfilled, even to this day. It also says in verse 2, I will bless you. In Genesis 13, 2, it says, Abraham was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold. Next to Solomon, he is considered the second wealthiest man in the Bible. Not only was Abraham blessed financially, but he had the greatest blessing we can ever have, and that is a relationship with God. On our journey with God, He will bless us. In His Word, He has proclaimed the blessing for us. Psalm 38 says, "May Your blessing be on Your people." And in Proverbs 10:22, it says, "The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and He has no, and He adds no sorrow with it." Claim this blessing. Ask God for a blessing. Jabez asked God for a blessing in in 1 Chronicles 4.10. Oh, that you will bless me indeed. Jacob also asked for a blessing when he wrestled with God. He wrestled with the angel, but it was really God. In Genesis 32.26, he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. God will bless us, but like Abraham, our greatest blessing is not the material. Our greatest blessing is having a relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Spiritual blessings are the best blessings. It also says in verse 2 of Genesis, And I will make your name great. By God making Abraham's name great, he was giving him an identity. Abraham is recognized by three world religions as founder of their faith, the Jews, the Muslims, and us, the Christians. God has made him great. God has made his name great. Famous. He has made him famous, and his name great. If you, if God ever gives you a platform, if you ever get famous, always point to God. Give Him the glory for everything. He's he, for everything you do or accomplish. I like it when famous people and sports stars give all the glory to God. You might you may not have a platform. You may not be famous, and that's okay. The most important thing is li- in life is not your name being made great. The most important thing in life is your name's location. Location, 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 like the realtors say. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Revelation 21:27 says, Nothing impure, impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the, ba- the Lamb's book of life. It's all about your name's location. If you want to make it a heaven, your name has to be written in the last book of life. You can be famous, you can break records, but it's your name in the last book of life. If God opened the last book of life today, will he find your name there? How do you get your name in the last book of life? By accepting Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Don't wait any longer. Make sure your name is written there. Verse 2 continues to say, And you shall be a blessing. This is like a command. Abraham had no choice but to be a blessing. On our journey with God, we are called to be a blessing to others. Ask God to show you how you can be a blessing to others with whatever God has blessed you with. You have no choice but to be a blessing. Verse 3 of Genesis 12 says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. We see here God giving Abraham a protection. Some People think that this promise is only for Abraham at that time and no more. But if you look at what has happened to the nations that have turned their backs on Israel throughout history, and you will find that they have become second-rate nations. We know what happened to Hitler and his entire army. Every empire that has sought to bring Israel down, God has ultimately destroyed. We need Israel. It's to our benefit to bless Israel. We are to pray for the nation of Israel. Psalm 122, verse 6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you prosper. When was the last time you prayed for Israel? In verse 3, it also says, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a prophecy fulfilled. This is a prophecy of Jesus given to Abraham, and it was fulfilled 1,900 years later when Jesus was born. Jesus, a descendant of Abraham. Jesus, the seed of Abraham, the one through whom me and you are saved and can inherit eternal life. We are blessed in Jesus. This prophecy proves that God exists, that his word is true, and that the Bible is the word we we can count on. This prophecy and its fulfillment should be an encouragement to us. If it wasn't for Abraham responding to the call, there would be no Ten Commandments. There would be no Bible. Because it says in Romans 3 2, to Israel were committed the oracles of God. There will be no Jesus our Lord. None of us will be saved. In this sinful blessing, God gave Abraham a purpose, an identity, and protection. The world and the devil will also offer you these three things that God gave Abraham a purpose, an identity, and protection. But it requires for you to compromise or forsake God, it requires your soul. So in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, we see these promises, the sevenfold blessing of God, and we find Abraham in Haran. He had just left his his hometown, Earl of the Chaldeans, with his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and Terah, his dad. In verse 1 of Genesis 12, we read that God had said, this is a recounting of of the call and promises that God had already spoken to Abraham. This is what I call an I been told you moment with God. My daughter sometimes uses that phrase, I been told you. This is considered Abraham's second call. It seems like God told Abraham to leave twice. So where did God have said to Abraham? God has said to Abraham these sevenfold blessing while he was in Ur of the Chaldeans. Acts 7.2 says, And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Mesopotamia is Ur. Mesopotamia is is known as the land between two rivers. Abraham probably got this promise through a vision or a dream while he was a sinner an idol worshiper in Ur of the Chaldeans. It was God who chose Abraham. God does the choosing. It was God who chose you. In John 6, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him. God chooses whom he chooses. The interesting thing about Abraham is that he didn't fully obey when he first got the call back in Ur in the Chaldeans because he was supposed to leave his family. It was just supposed to be him and Sarah. Why leave his family? Because they were going to be a stumbling block to him. Abraham was being called out of idolatry. Abraham's family was a temptation for him. Matthew 10.37 says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Abraham's Abraham's father's name, Terah, means delay. On our journey with God, we can allow family or friends to delay the promises of God. So Abraham and Sarai were supposed to live by themselves, but that's not what takes place. He goes out of the land of Ur, but he goes with his nephew Lot and Terah, his father. His father takes the lead, moving them to Canaan. There, There are different beliefs as to why his dad takes the lead to go to Canaan. One is that One is that God also put a call upon his dad to go to Canaan and that the whole family went in obedience to Abraham's call. Another belief as to why his dad takes the lead was because of the providence of God. What is the providence of God? The providence of God is when God directs all things and events, the good and evil, towards a worthy purpose, his purpose. It's the hand of God in the glove of human events. It's God the pilot at the wheel during the night watch. Like when Moses, and, and like when God brought together baby Moses and the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, at the Nile River and changed the destiny of a nation. Like when Joseph was sold as a slave by his brothers, thrown into prison and becoming the second in command in Pharaoh's palace, saving an entire nation or like Cyrus, of whom God prophesied 150 years before he was born and using him to deliver Israel out of the captivity from the Babylonian Empire, the one and only pagan king that God ever used who did not know God. So it could have been by the providence of God because God never told Abraham where he was supposed to go, but Terah, his father, knew where he was going. He was going to Canaan. Nevertheless, it was God who brought out Abraham out of the land of Ur. Because it says in Genesis 15:7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. So we see that Abraham left in incomplete obedience by not leaving his family behind. Him and his family leave, but then they stop at Haran. That's where you find them at Haran in chapter 12. It is believed that he stood at Haran for about 15 to 25 years. Haran means parched dried out. Abraham delayed the the promises of God and was spiritually dried out for about 25 years. On our journey with God, we too can become disobedient to what God has said. We can all have the I've been told you moments with God. What has God been told you to do and you haven't done? Here's a few. God has told us to be still and are we? God has said to love. Do you love others? God has said to be have faith like a child. Do you have faith like a child? The list goes on and on. It could be anything God has told you to do. There's a lot of things in the Bible that God tells us to do, and we don't. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Also on our journey with God, we are going to come across Haran. Haran could be any dryness that stops you from the promises and blessings of God. It could be anything in your past. Any sin that destroys you. Any sin that dries you out. What is your Haran? Get out of the Harans. They will only dry you out and leave you thirsty. The longer you stay in Haran, the more dry out you become for God. It is believed that his dad, Terah, was born in Haran. And that's probably why he didn't want to leave. And he ends up dying there. After his death, Abraham probably wanted to go back. But... But it was while at Haran that God must have dealt with Abraham to obey. He had no excuse now. Verse 4 says, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So we see that after 25 years of delaying and being dried out spiritually, Abraham begins to obey the call. His partial obedience did not take God's promises away. Instead, it meant the fulfillment of the promises was delayed until Abraham was ready to do what the Lord had told him to do. Has God ever given you a promise? When God promised you something, he keeps it. It's us who, who delay it. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes. Who here needs a promise? Don't wait for a man of God to call you and give you a word. Here's a couple of promises. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Jeremiah 30:17, 17, for I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds. There are many, many promises in the Bible. Find them, memorize them, claim them over your life, personalize them. The fact that Abraham was, wasn't totally obedient should be an encouragement to us, not an excuse. He wasn't perfect, nor was his his faith perfect. We see the patience of God with Abraham, just like he is patient with us when we don't obey. We also should be patient with others who have not obeyed. Nobody else but God can have that type of patience to wait 25 years for a man or woman to fully obey. Everyone else flips out. Pastors and leaders get frustrated. We have to be careful when we deal with brothers and sisters who are still disobedient. Even with the unsaved, we, are, we have to show them love. Let the Word of God deal with them. Let God and the Holy Spirit deal with them. We're not the Holy Spirit. Let God deal with them like He dealt with Abraham. Don't get me wrong. There are still consequences when we don't obey God's Word. We cheat ourselves and others when we don't obey God's Word. Luke 11:28 says, "Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it." On our journey with God, it's to our benefit and the benefit of others if we obey God's word. So so far we see Abraham's double disobedience by not leaving by himself with by himself with Sarah and by by stopping at Haran. Abraham was slow to obey, just like you and me when we're slow to obey. If you look at your own life, you will see that we are all like Abraham. God didn't give up on Abraham. It's us who give up on God. Verse 4, it says that uh, that he departed as the Lord has spoken. So finally, finally, from here on, Abraham is on board with God. Hebrews eleven eight says, For by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. We see here that God doesn't remember his failures. He doesn't say like me, finally, finally. Abraham obeyed. It's us and the devil who remind us of our past. God looks at our present. So Abraham is on board with God to the promised land. Our promised land is heaven. And while we are here on earth, we are to live in the promises of God. Verse 5. Then Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother, son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, And the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. So we see here that he got stuff, he got possessions while at Haran. From a worldly perspective, he appears to be doing good. While at Haran, he had the material. He he was prospering, he gets manservants. But even though he had all this stuff in Haran, he was spiritually barren. He was dried out spiritually. On our journey with God, we can have the material possessions. The new cars, the money, the big house but be dried out for God. Even the devil will give you stuff to keep you spiritually dry for God. Possessions could be used as a delusion. Just because you, you are prosperous doesn't mean you are rich towards God or that the blessing of the Lord is on your life. The real question should be what's happening spiritually. Are you prospering spiritually or are you spiritually dry? God, gain is not godliness, as some prosperity preachers preach. Mark 8.36 says, For what should it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There's nothing wrong with material things, with having a good job, a nice house, a nice car. The problem is, is if those material things keep you dry for God or you idolize them. Verse 6, Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the Terebinth tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were in the land. The Canaanites. Who were the Canaanites? They were wicked, idolatrous people. They were descendants of Canaan, Noah, Noah's grandson. He was cursed because of his sin against Noah when Noah got drunk and became naked. The Canaanites worshipped different gods. A couple of their gods was the bronze calf, which was found in 1990. And another god was Baal, the god of the storms, bringing rain and productivity to the land. This god challenged the worship of Israel so much that even King Ahab forsook the Lord and served Baal. He even allowed Israel to worship Baal, an action that Elijah the prophet strongly denounced. As a matter of fact, Elijah himself challenges 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. The pastor spoke about that two weeks ago. During a long drought, he challenges them. He, then, he, he had them lay a bull sacrifice on wood to see who would bring fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. Elijah was able to call down fire from heaven, and afterwards, rain followed after a long drought. Baal's reputation was severely damaged because his prophets were not able to call fire from heaven to consume their bull sacrifice despite his prophet's desperate pleas. So we see that the moment Abraham gets to the promised land, there's adversity, opposition. This is the first test of his faith. On our journey with God, we're going to face opposition, adversity, trials. This journey we're, we're on is not a trouble-free life with endless success. That's not what you see in Abraham's life. As far as trials go, you just have to get used to them. The Canaanites represent the world and the devil opposing us to make it to heaven, to serve gods, to serve the Baals. What is your bell that you worship? It could be anything. The Baal of money, greed, lust, Abraham didn't get the promised land he had probably expected, but he didn't focus on the circumstances. He had the eyes of faith. He was being the man of faith God had called him to be. The Canaanites were a problem to Abraham, but he looked to the problem solver. Do you have a problem? Ask God to help you solve it. The Canaanites were going to compete with Abraham for the enjoyment of the land, for the fruits of the land. Just like the world and the devil compete with us not to love God, to sin, to forsake God. So that we won't make heaven our promised land. The devil doesn't want us living in the promises of God. The Canaanites were there before Abraham. Just like the devil and his demons have been here long before us. People die and the devil's still here. He studies you. He knows where to hit. The Canaanites, they thought it was their land, but God uses our Canaanite adversity for good. Like that song, what the enemy meant for evil, God uses it for good. Proverbs 16:4 says, the Lord has made all things for himself. Yeah, even the wicked for the day of doom. Abraham's descendants later on take over the land of Canaan and live in the cities that the Canaanites built they enjoyed the vineyards and wells that the Canaanites enjoyed. They used the alphabet the Canaanites used. It was an advantage for Abraham, Abraham's descendants, that the Canaanites built the cities. God turned the curse into a blessing. Proverbs 13, says, The wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. So in verse 6, Abraham seized the Canaanites while at Shechem. Shechem, also known as Sycharth, in the new testament later on in in the bible several several events take place at Shechem on this same spot after conquering all the land of Canaan Joshua calls for a final meeting with the nation of Israel before his death he reminds them of all God, of all that God has done for them and instructs them to keep serving the Lord he challenges them and tells them in Joshua 24:15 choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods which were which your father served, that were on the other side of the river. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He tells them to go forward, and I go back. Jacob Jacob later on in Shechem digs a well. Jesus in the New Testament meets the Samaritan woman at this well in Shechem. The word Shechem means shoulder or back. What happens when you look at your shoulder? You start looking back. Back at your old ways, your old gods. Proverbs 4.25 says, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Do not look to the right or to the left. It was here at Shechem that Abraham saw the Canaanites. The Canaanites had giants from the tribe of the Anakites, descendants of the Nephilim. So the Canaanites literally had giants. In the book of Joshua, when the twelve spies came back and gave a report of the land, they mentioned these giants. It wasn't an exaggeration. Goliath was a descendant of the Nephilim. Goliath was a symbol of Israel's previous failure because Israel was to destroy all the Canaanites. But they didn't. They kept some and put them in forced labor. A big mistake that created Goliath. The devil throws us giants. But we also create our own giants when we fail to obey God's word. When Abraham saw the Canaanites, fear could have set in, and he might want it to go back. But he, but he had faith, like Joshua and Caleb, that God was going to protect him and give his descendants the land. While at Shechem, it's as if God was saying to Abraham, You're in the army now, no going back, but forward. Lot's wife looked back and was turned to a pillar of salt. On our journey with God, as we face opposition, as we face giants, we too might get tempted to go back to our old ways, our old gods. The devil will have us to look back and want us to backslide. Israel wanted to go back to Egypt after the ten spies came back with the bad report of the land. We, like Joshua and Caleb and Abraham, must keep going forward like soldiers of Christ. The armor of God gives no protection for the back. It's, it's, meant for us to go. it's not meant for us to turn back and run. We have to go forward. Drinking from God's well, that well that Jesus says in, in John 4:13, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. God's people are to move forward no matter what. In verse 7 it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. To your descendants I will give this land. We see here that Abraham took that once Abraham took the plan of God, God speaks to him. He gets clear direction and understanding. He gets step two. Back in Haran, God was waiting on Abraham to obey what he had put in his heart to do. That's the way God is with us. When we don't obey his word, we don't get a fresh revelation. We don't get a clear direction. We think we are waiting on God, but in reality, God is waiting on us to obey his word. We also see here the provision of God. God was going to give this land to his descendants. At first, it was probably disappointing for Abraham that he wasn't the one who was going to get the land. But this is how God helped him to see that this land of Canaan was just a representation, a picture of the real city whose builder and maker is God. Canaan was a symbol of the real land of promise, a symbol of heaven. God told Abraham to his the sentence, I will give this land. The Canaanites, they thought it was their land. But if God says, I'm going to give it, clearly God's claim wins theirs. Even with what we own, it's not really ours. It's all God's. We are just stewards. We are just borrowers of what God has given us. Everything is the Lord's. It's not yours. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It also said that he built an altar in verse 7. This altar that Abraham built was not like the other altars that are mentioned in the Bible later on. This altar was one used for was not this altar was not one used for sacrificing. It was just built. It was a memorial altar of a significant encounter with God, lest we ever forget. Isaac and Joshua later on built this type of altar. When God parted the Jordan River for Israel to cross over in, chapter, in Joshua chapter 3, he commanded them to take 12 stones from the river and set them, up, set them up as a memorial. That was an altar to the Lord. This altar that Abraham built was an altar to mark the land belonging to God, like a flag, like a stake claiming the land for God. This altar, got, this altar had God's name on it. It symbolizes service and worship of the Lord. On our journey with God, we can build spiritual altars by showing everyone that you belong to Christ, by witnessing to people about Christ. In doing so, you are showing God's flag, God's claim on your life, letting everyone know that you belong to God in everything you say or do, at your jobs, at your home, or wherever you go. In verse 8, it says, And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So it says that he pitched the tent. This speaks of a pilgrimage, a journey. By Abraham living in tents, it showed that he was a pilgrim. On our journey, he was a pilgrim on a journey. After he left his hometown, he never owned land. He never poured concrete foundation to build a house. Back in early the Chaldeans, Abraham had it all. He had the house, the camels, the dogs, the car. But when he had an encounter with God, he figured that this is not where it's it's all at. This is not what life is all about. On our journey with, with God, we should have a tent mentality. The Bible says we are strangers. We are pilgrims just passing through first peter two eleven says, "Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul now now don't go selling your house or and go buying a tent, but have a tent mentality it's It's okay if you live in a house if you, just don't take it too seriously because it's all temporary." Have dreams, have goals, but have a tent mentality, realizing this is not our final stop. We can't take nothing with us. You might think, if I only had this or if I only had that, if I only, what well, you are really craving for is heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, also he has put eternity in, our, in their hearts, which means that in every human soul is a God-given awareness that there is something more than this passing world. If you think you're going to be happy as soon as you get this or you get that, we deceive ourselves. What we're really craving for is heaven. What we really need is Jesus. Now that you have Jesus in your heart, enjoy life. Enjoy the blessings of God. But don't take this world that seriously. Like Abraham, have a tent mentality, knowing that all this is temporary. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if our earthly house this tent is destroyed we have a building from God a house not made without not made with hands eternal in heaven verse 8 says that it mentions bethel and ai bethel means the house of God ai means a heap of, a heap of ruins a waste a dump on this journey with God we like abraham are on this metal ground of bethel and ai we have left the dump, the world, the devil, our old ways, and we are on our way to, to heaven, to the house of God. Jesus promises a mansion in heaven. He's preparing one for us right now. We are not to turn back to the waste, to the dump, to our old ways. Philippians 3 8 says, Yet I indeed count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. We are not in heaven yet. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Our Bethel is heaven. It mentions in verse 8 that he built another altar and calls on the name of the Lord. We see Abraham worshiping, calling on the Lord. He keeps the worship of God in his house and his family. He lets everyone Know who is following him, who he's calling upon. He lets everybody know that he's calling upon God. On our journey with God, we, are, we also should call on the name of the Lord. We should have a prayer life. Take time to call upon the Lord throughout your day. Psalm 55:17 17 says, Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry out loud, and he shall hear my voice. Pray in the morning. Take a few minutes during your 30-minute break and talk to God. Pray before you go to bed. Call upon the name of the Lord. Verse 10, it says, actually, verse 9, it says, So Abraham journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now, in verse 10, it says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. A famine in the land. Abraham was probably thinking, this is what you brought me for, to a famine. This is the promised land. This is Abraham's second test. He was doing good until this trial. Like that quote, it all went south after this. We sometimes have this idea that if, we, if, that, uh, that if I'm obedient, it's going to be a cakewalk, that everything's going to be wonderful. Abraham's mistake in this trial was to go to Egypt. He was supposed to stay in Canaan. He should have trusted God to meet his needs in the midst of this trial. All the promises were for Canaan. God called him to Canaan, not Egypt. Here he is is not looking through the eyes of faith. Egypt in the Bible represents the world. Pharaoh represents the devil. The world and the devil go together, hand in hand. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not. Abraham felt he had to do something instead of being still. It's It's dangerous when you think you have to do something during a test, during a trial. We see that Abraham leans on his own understanding by going into Egypt, kind of like you and me when we compromise with the world in times of trial. We go to the world instead of God. We leave Canaan, the promise of God, in the Bible and depend on the world. The world offers you things, but you have to compromise to get it. We can think that our compromise with sin is not a big deal, that God will forgive us. He does forgive us, but there, but there are eternal consequences. But by Abraham going to Egypt, he made a big mistake that still affects us today because it was here at Egypt that it is believed that he acquired Hagar. Hagar was Egyptian. Later on, Abraham goes into Hagar and gets Ishmael. From the descendants of Ishmael, we get the ones that hate the West. They hate Christianity. From our, from our small rebellion, from our compromise with sin and the world, we allow the devil to set up future spiritual attacks. On our journey with God, in our time of trial, we need to trust Him and stay in the promise, promises of God, living in the promises of God. Let's read on from, from verse 11 to 20, because after this I'm about to close. And it came, uh, verse 11, says, uh, and it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore what happened when the Egyptians see you that they will say this is his wife and they will kill me because they will let, and, and but they will let you live please say you are my sister that I may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you so it was when Abraham Abraham came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman saw the woman that she was very beautiful the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and com, and command, commended her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house because, with great plagues because of Sarah, his wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your, your wife? Why did you say she was your sister? I might, have, I might have taken her as wife. Now therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh com- commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abraham, out of fear, asked Sarah, his wife, to tell a lie because of her beauty. At the age of 65, Jewish beliefs about Sarah's beauty was that she was more beautiful than Eve, that God had given her one-third of all women's beauty, that she made all other women look like monkeys compared to her. Abraham, out of fear from the Egyptians, asked her to tell a half-lie. It was a half-lie because Sarah was, in fact, his half-sister. He was being clever with words, a trickster, but it was still a lie. That's, why, that's probably why Jacob was probably a trickster. The Egyptians liked other women because they believed their woman faded early. And if Pharaoh saw a beautiful woman, he would take the wife. We see Abraham getting out of the will of God and operating, He was operating in fear. His plan here was to lie. His doubt leads to disobedience. We also see Sarah. Obeying Abraham, a picture of what a Christian wife should be. 1 Peter 3, 6 says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. She submits and trusts even when her husband is not walking in wisdom. She calls him Lord even when he's not choosing the best way. God protects her and blesses the family, according to verse 16. Abraham thought he was getting away with it. He thought his plan had worked, but it wasn't God's plan. We don't see Abraham while in Egypt building an altar, calling on the Lord. We don't see him asking for God's direction. He gets out of the will of God. On our journey with God, we can become dangerous when we, when we get out of the will of God. We put, we put everyone close to us in jeopardy. Whenever we sin, we never sin alone. It's always, it always involves other people. Like when you throw a stone into a lake, there's a ripple effect that follows. Our sin has consequences far above beyond just you and just you. It affects people around you. Here we have an unbelieving king, King Pharaoh, rebuking God's man. Abraham became a curse. Abraham was not a blessing. Abraham lost his testimony. On this journey with God, we need to know that people are watching our lives. We have a t- a testimony. We can get up behind this pulpit and testify, which is fine. But sometimes we leave a mess behind. I remember, you know, when I got saved, I was saved for about three years and I was telling this brother, yeah, I've been saved for three years, kind of bragging. And the brother told me, Faithfully, and man, it made me think. Faithfully, I was, I was faithful. I was, I was faithful. But it made me really think. Like, man, that's true. Are you serving God faithfully? We see that Abraham was not perfect. Just like you and me are not perfect. This is why we are to look into the Word of God to, to avoid all these pitfalls along our journey to Canaan. Along our journey to the promised land, in, in chapter 13, he ends up going back to Bethel, where he, where he had first built his first altar. He learned this lesson. In closing, the quote that says "It's not how you start, but how you finish" is true of Abraham. He didn't start good. He didn't start good, but he finished strong. Amen.